Take your Bible, please, and uh, meet me in, in Matthew chapter 13. Matthew chapter 13. You recall from last Sunday that we're in the midst of a five-part summer series on the kingdom parables as recorded here in Matthew chapter 13. There are seven of them in this chapter that Jesus uses to teach about life in the kingdom of God. Now, a parable is a simple story that describes one thing by comparing it to something else from our everyday experience. In the parable of the sower from last week, for instance, Jesus compared the human heart to four different kinds of soils. The message of God's kingdom goes out into the world and inevitably it falls upon hard hearts, it falls upon shallow hearts, it falls upon strangled or distracted hearts, as well as receptive hearts that receive the message and become fruitful. And so, we talked last week about asking God for a new heart, for a clean heart, for a heart that's open and ready to welcome whatever He intends for us. Uh, John Hansen here told me after the service last week, John grew up, on a small farm in North Dakota, and he said, it's such a great point he brought forth. I want to pass it on to you. Even fertile soil still needs tending. So don't stop, don't stop, don't stop receiving from God what He has for you. Today we move to the second parable recorded here. That is the parable of the weeds. Now one of my chores growing up was to pull weeds. I hated pulling weeds. I still remember spending what seemed like long and excruciating hours in the yard pulling weeds. And now, as an adult, I'm still pulling weeds. And now I'm teaching my son to pull weeds. Full circle, baby. Just a few weekends ago, Elias and I were in the backyard on a weed-pulling adventure. Like any dad, I felt the need for a well-timed dad talk explaining to him in ever-inspiring fashion why pulling weeds is a noble thing. I wanted him to see the, the bigger picture. I said that we pull weeds in order to preserve the plant, to protect the plant, and to give the plant room to grow. I said we pull weeds in order for the plant to bring forth its unique glory as part of God's creation. I said we pull weeds to enjoy the plant 
and the beauty God has given to the plant. Therefore, let's pull weeds, I said, to the glory of God and receive all that God has for us. I mean, you should have been there. This was one of my best dad talks ever. But it didn't work. It did not motivate my son one bit. It was hot. He was sweating. He was dirty. He ripped off his shirt in hopes of finding some relief. And of course, to flex a little. And all told, he lasted about 15 minutes. You see, the problem with pulling weeds is that it seems so temporary. My dad taught me to get them by the roots. And I'm now teaching Elias the same, to not leave the roots behind or it'll just grow back. Which makes sense on one level, but the weeds always come back anyway. Just as soon as you get a weed-free yard, they're back in full force. As if they've regrouped, they've held a meeting, they've talked strategy, and they've rededicated themselves to their mission. Now I have a question for you. Do you ever feel that way when it comes to good and evil? That no matter how hard you try, evil is always there. If that resonates with you this morning, I think today's parable will speak to you But as we come to it, I think we need to admit up front that it may bother us a bit at first. Bother us because Jesus teaches something about this tension between good and evil that at first is is a bit unsettling. The parable speaks of good and bad seed growing together in the same environment, in close proximity to one another. And when asked if the bad should be removed, Jesus says, no, let's wait. He says, let both go grow together, which seems odd to me at first. But, but what we come to learn is that Jesus is not building an earthly kingdom. Jesus is building a heavenly kingdom, one that's being formed on earth even now. You see, though, may we, though, though we may want to uproot all the weeds now, God has a better plan. Now listen, I'm not just saying it's a different plan. I'm saying it's a better plan because it is of God. 
Jesus' teaching about the conflict between kingdoms, between the earthly and the heavenly, and namely, he's saying that the presence of this conflict builds trust and hope in the Lord. That's where we're going this morning. Let's read it. Matthew chapter 13, beginning at verse 24 through verse 30, Jesus presents the parable. And then we're going to skip down to verse 36, where he explains the parable. Verse 24. He put another parable before them, saying, The kingdom of heaven may be compared to a man who sowed good seed in his field. But while his men were sleeping, his enemy came and sowed weeds among the wheat and went away. So when the plants came up and bore grain, then the weeds appeared also. And the servants of the master of the house came and said to him, Master, did you not sow good seed in your field? How then does it have weeds? And he said to them, An enemy has done this. And so the servants said to him, Then do you want us to go and gather them? But he said, No, lest in gathering the weeds you root up the wheat along with them. Let both grow together until the harvest. And at harvest time, I'll tell the reapers, Gather the weeds first and bind them in bundles to be burned, but gather the wheat into my barn. Verse 36. Then he left the crowds and went into the house, and his disciples came to him, saying, Explain to us the parable of the weeds of the field. He answered, The one who sows the good seed is the Son of Man, the field is the world, and the good seed is the sons of the kingdom. The weeds are the sons of the evil one, and the enemy who sowed them is the devil. The harvest is the end of the age, and the reapers are angels. Just as the weeds are gathered and burned with fire, so it will be at the end of the age. The Son of Man will send His angels, and they will gather out of His kingdom all causes of sin and all lawbreakers, and throw them into the fiery furnace. In that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. But then the righteous will shine like the sun, in the kingdom of their father, he who has ears, let him hear. Father, we thank you for our time in your word this morning. Thank you for, um, for providing this instruction to us and for us. Thank you for loving us to this degree, that you have not left us to figure it out on our own, but you have provided for us truth and a path forward that we may walk in the ways of Jesus. So come and help us today to understand what Jesus is saying here. Help me to communicate clearly and give all of us ears to hear and hearts to receive. For we ask it In his name, amen. Jesus is teaching about life with God. And in this parable, there are five truths put forth by Jesus that describe the tension 
between the kingdoms of heaven and earth. And I want to spend our time together this morning considering these five truths. The first is this. There is conflict between Jesus and the devil, between good and evil. I get this from verses 24 and 25. Jesus compares the kingdom of heaven to a man who sowed good seed in his field. He, he, yet there's also an enemy who sowed bad seed. Jesus clearly defines the parts of this parable, so we're not left to guess uh, at what's going on here. According to his explanation, he, Jesus, is the one who sows the good seed, verse 37. The field is, uh, uh, in which he sows is the world, that's verse 38. The good seed, the wheat, sown in the field is the sons of the kingdom, that is, the children of God. The bad seed, the weeds, refer, refers to those who don't follow God or the sons of the evil one, while the enemy who sowed them, we're told, is the devil himself, verse 39. The picture, then, is just one of conflict between Jesus and the work of God and Satan and his opposition to God. Now, Satan has been opposing God from the beginning. Though created by God for God, he is a created being. He wanted to live under his own authority without answering to God, so he rebelled against God and fell from grace taking a third of the angels with him. And we know this from Revelation chapter 12 when it says this. Now war arose in heaven. The archangel Michael and his angels are fighting against the dragon, that's Satan, and the dragon and his angels fought, fought back, but he was defeated, and there was no longer any place for them in heaven. And the great dragon, we're told, was thrown down. That ancient serpent who is called the devil and Satan, the deceiver of the whole world, he was thrown down to the earth, and his angels were thrown down with him. That's Revelation 12, verses 7 through 9. Jesus himself refers to this scene when he said in Luke chapter 10, I saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven. The devil is a fallen being who brought about the fall of humanity. He came as a serpent, you know the story, persuading Adam and Eve to turn from God just as he did. And yet God, in his grace, in his mercy, in God's great love, God covered their sin and promised a Savior who would crush the serpent's head even while the serpent bit his heel. Jesus was there when the devil fell. Jesus was promised when humanity fell. And Jesus came to destroy the works of the devil and redeem a fallen humanity. And he's doing just that even today. 
but the conflict between good and evil continues for now. This tension between the kingdoms of heaven and earth. Number two. All people, all people are part of this conflict. Whether they realize it or not. The field in this parable is the world. The wheat and the weeds, the good and bad seed, represent the people of the world. In that some people are children of God, while others aren't. Essentially, what we have here is a picture of believers and unbelievers, of followers of Jesus and those who follow something or someone else, and are all living together in the same field. In the field that belongs to God, uh, which is the world, the devil is sowing deception and discord. He cannot prevent Jesus from sowing good seed, so instead, he sows another kind of seed. Now, most believe that Jesus refers, what he's referring to here is, is something called darnel, D-A-R-N-E-L, and darnel is a kind of ryegrass that resembles wheat in its early stages. So when the plants are young, you can't really distinguish between the wheat and the darnel. But as they mature, the darnel uh, uh, actually begins to grow poison in the form of these black poisonous seeds that come out from the tips of their leaves. The devil did this while the servants in the parable were sleeping. But notice that Jesus doesn't fault the servants for sleeping. So they weren't being lazy or negligent in any way. Listen, this is not a call for the church to wake up. That's not what this parable is saying. Instead, the emphasis here is on the presence of an enemy who is operating even today in a crafty, deceptive manner who looks for every opportunity to oppose the work of God, who is actively against the people of God, who operates under the cover of darkness while giving the appearance of one thing when, when in fact it's something entirely diametrical. Jesus is teaching, hear this church, Jesus is teaching that, that all people, everyone who has ever lived, everyone who ever will live, uh, are, are represented here either as wheat or as weeds. In other words, everyone you know, everyone you meet, falls into one of these two categories. Everyone in this room this morning, everyone in this room this morning is either wheat or weeds. So we mustn't miss the significance, the immense significance 
of what Jesus is communicating here. He's saying we're all part of this conflict. Either we're with the Lord or we're with the devil. But those are the only two options. Number three. At present, we don't understand, do we, why this conflict is allowed to continue. I think many Christians today are like the servants in verse 27. We're surprised by the presence of evil in the world. We're surprised. Like them, we sometimes go to God and say, Did you not sow good seed in your field? How then does it have weeds? And we sometimes assume that because uh, we assume that the presence of bad is somehow God's fault. And we're blind. I know this is true. We're blind to the good because we're so fixated on the bad. We want the bad to be purged from the good right now, don't we? Come on, don't we? We want the kingdom of heaven to overthrow the kingdoms of the earth, but that's not what the Bible means when it refers to the kingdom of God. It's not talking about a place or nation, but about the reign of God in a person's life. When Jesus taught us to pray for God's will to be done on earth, as in heaven, for instance, He was teaching us, He was teaching you and me to be personally receptive to God's direction and personally obedient to Him. In other words, he's saying, if you, want the, if you want God's will to be done on earth as in heaven, it begins with you. Ruth Barton defines God's kingdom as that state of being in which God is reigning in our life and His presence is shaping our reality. I like that. I have no doubt that this parable rattled the cage of Jewish expectation. Having suffered under foreign rule for centuries, the Jews longed for the establishment of God's kingdom on earth in their minds the coming of the kingdom was seen primarily through a national lens, one of political and military conquest where their oppressors would, overth- would be overthrown while they, the oppressed, would rise in victory. And sometimes we think along similar lines, don't we? Forgetting that nationalism and Christianity are not the same. Church, God has not promised us 
a Christian America. Nor has he promised a weed-free life. But since God is God and we are not, we must understand that we don't always understand. In ways that won't always make sense to us, just like the presence of weeds didn't make sense to those working in the field, God allows the conflict to be between good and evil to continue for now. It's all part of His plan. And in fact, as we see in point number four, even the reason for it is somewhat surprising to us. Number four, Jesus allows the conflict, hear this, in order to protect and preserve what's good. Look at verse 29. When asked if if they should uproot the weeds, he said to them, no, lest in gathering the weeds you root up the wheat along with them. This is so counterintuitive. So against the grain of our sensibilities. Why doesn't God end the work of the devil now? Why doesn't God end the devil for that matter? And Jesus' answer is because doing so now would actually put the good seed at risk. Now, what's he saying? What's he driving at here? At least two things, I think. I think first, I think he's saying first that the presence of evil in the world is actually being used by God to strengthen and deepen our trust in Him. To deepen our roots. Since the fall itself, the question God has been asking is basically, will you trust me now? Look at what going your own way has gotten you. Look at all the destruction and devastation in the world. Look at the sin and misery in your own life. Look around and see what sin has done. Will you continue down that path to your own demise or will you trust me instead? You see, in a world where evil exists, dependence upon God becomes paramount, doesn't it? There's no better example of this than the life of Job. Job was a good man, a godly man. He was a wealthy man, also a man greatly blessed when it came to material things. And one day, unbeknownst to Job, Satan appeared before God and began to mock Job's faith and accuse Job of loving God only because God had given him so much wealth. But take his wealth away, Job suggested, and Job, or Satan suggested, take his wealth away, Satan suggested, and Job will certainly turn from God. 
And so Satan was allowed to attack Job in every way except taking his life. And so the devil schemed against Job. He killed Job's children. He destroyed Job's cattle and livestock. He took Job's home and property. Uh, he, uh, he came against Job. His health, he, he attacked his health so severely that open sores covered Job from head to toe. Job lost everything. He lost his wealth. He lost his family. His wife remained, but she was of no help. She turned from God, just as Satan thought Job would. She told Job to curse God and die. And Job had some friends, if you want to call them that, who basically said, it's all your fault, Job. But Job wasn't responsible for the evil. God wasn't responsible for the evil. Only the devil was responsible. And God, who knows the end from the beginning, used the works of the devil to strengthen Job's faith so that by the time we get to the end of the story, Job praises God. saying in chapter 42, I know, God, I know you can do all things and that no purpose of yours can be thwarted. You know what he's saying there? He's saying, I know in ways that I don't understand that this was all part of your greater plan. He affirmed God's Godness, and when all was said and done, he was a better man because his trust in the Lord grew. It grew stronger through his affliction, not apart from it. And I just have to say to those among us this morning who are enduring affliction of many kinds, and there are some, to take comfort from Job in knowing that God is with you, that God is for you, and that God is, is using even this incredible hardship in your life to work good in your life in ways that you cannot see now, but will someday be revealed in their full glory. And in addition to deepening our trust in the Lord, I think Jesus says to not pull the weeds yet because we can't tell the difference. Honestly, you and I cannot always discern between wheat and weeds. We just can't. When Elias and I were pulling weeds in the backyard a couple weeks ago, I was working in one area while he had moved to another area, one with shade. And when I cleared my area, I went over to discover, I went over to his area to discover that he'd been pulling plants as well as weeds. Huh. I'm sure I pulled some plants in my younger days. He didn't mean to do this, of course. 
And he was very eager to show me the pile he had collected, which did include some weeds, it did. But there were also quite a few plants, ground cover to be specific. And because he didn't know the difference, he mistakenly pulled up the good stuff while leaving the bad uh, and left some of the bad stuff in with the good. And if it were up to us, church, if it were up to us to weed God's field, we'd do that too. We'd pull up the good with the bad and we'd leave some of the bad in with the good. Some who appear to be wheat aren't and some who appear to be weeds aren't and we can't always tell the difference we can't accurately discern between the two and hear this even if we could we'd still probably leave some of the bad and uproot some of the good because if we're honest we like some of the bad and we don't like all of the good Even the good seed, though they're of the same good seed and have been sown by the same good sower, isn't it true that we do not always value those in Christ's kingdom who think or talk or look or act differently than us? They got to go. And so maybe Jesus is alluding to this very thing when he said in his Sermon on the Mount, judge not that you be not judged. For with the judgment you pronounce, you will be judged. And with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. And then he begins to explain the reason why we aren't good at judging others. Because, you see, we ignore this, this massive log sticking out of our eye in order to try to pick the little speck out of the eyes of others. And so could it be that Jesus is saying to leave the weeds, leave the weeds, leave the weeds because I need to deepen the trust. I need to deepen the faith of the wheat. And because honestly, you're not good at t- telling the difference. Church. Hear this. Now, now don't misunderstand. I'm not saying that we should not stand for truth. We should. I'm not saying that we should not stand against evil. We should. But listen, pulling weeds is not our job. It's God's. Which brings us to the last, the fifth and final observation. Number five. The final resolution to this conflict will come later at the time of harvest. Verse 30. Let both grow together until the harvest, and at harvest time I will tell the reapers, gather the weeds first and bind them in bundles to be burned, but gather the wheat into my barn. Final judgment is delayed, but it is certain. Everyone, wheat and weeds alike, will be accurately assessed. Enough time will have passed 
and that there will be no doubt as to who is what. I heard it said this way, time tells no lies. At the appointed time, the devil and his works will be judged accordingly. Those who aren't of God will be held accountable for their rebellion. Their true colors will be revealed and they will be justly condemned to hell. According to Jesus. It matters not what we look like. It matters not what we say about ourselves. It matters not how many good things we did. What, what will matter most in that moment is simply whether or not we belong to Jesus. Whether or not we know Jesus. When it's all said and done, what matters is if our trust is in Christ alone. And thus the children of God at that time having patiently endured this conflict between good and evil by faith in the Lord, will receive life with God forever. Michael Green notes a few traits from this parable about those who inherit this life, and I think they're worth sharing. He says, first, they are sown by Jesus, and therefore their place in God's kingdom owes entirely to God's initiative and love. Second, they have God as their father. He's their father, Jesus said. Their father. They're not mere peasants in the kingdom. They are sons and daughters of the king. Third, they're called the righteous because they enjoy right relationship with God and thus God's ways are becoming theirs. And finally, they will one day shine like the sun. You see, the glory of the Lord will be reflected in them and from them. Church, loved ones, the harvest in this parable represents hope. If we're trying to, to, to find an establishment of God's kingdom here on earth now, if, if our hope is that God is going to somehow overthrow the kingdoms of this world now in the earthly sense that, oh, if we just get the right politicians in place, if we, just, if we have enough military strength, if we can just rely on all of our wisdom and ingenuity and might, then God will usher in His kingdom, and that is baloney. The harvest in this parable, the harvest in this parable, the harvest in this parable is our hope. It's the sure triumph of Jesus and our triumph with him. But it's not now. It's, we're getting a taste of it now. It's now, but it's not yet. But at that time, he will remove the weeds. And he will gather the wheat. Gather them into my barn, he says. Into my barn. Gather them into 
my barn. It's just a sign of love and protection and preservation. Gather them, gather them, gather all of them, all of my people. Gather all of them, gather them into my barn. And as in the previous parable, Jesus just concludes with these words, and I'm so... I leave them with you. He or she who has ears, let him hear. It's a solemn warning on one hand and an invitation on the other. A warning to those who do not trust in Jesus now. But also an invitation to come and place your hope and trust in Him now. So that when the harvest comes, you too will be lovingly gathered into His eternal kingdom. Amen. God, you've been very good to us. We're very thankful, very appreciative. I just would pray for my brothers and sisters here now. That you would minister to them. That you comfort them. That you deepen their faith, deepen my faith. That you'd help us to be salt and light in this world at this time knowing that by reasons we may not understand for reasons we may not understand you're allowing this conflict between good and evil to continue for now and so we look to you for for hope and healing pray for those among us who may not trust you yet and I'd ask that they'd trust you today and tomorrow and the next day and for the whole of their lives would they surrender their entire selves to you. I ask this in your name, Jesus. Amen.